Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Big game today. Oh, yeah. Big big showdown between uh, United States and Iran in the World Cup to see who advances to face equatorial guinea or something i don't know <laughs> uh come on you're gonna watch it right everyone's watching it they've been watching it at school today i think my son's gonna be watching it yeah of course why what, what what else would they be doing at cps hey, certainly not hey, learning to read hey. or do math yeah of it's course in study hall come on yeah um no i'm not gonna be watching it um but i i know some family members of the iranian soccer team the players in the Iranian soccer team are going to be watching it because they're under threat of death after the Iranian team expressed some solidarity with the protesters in Iran. So uh, they better mind their P's and Q's on the Iranian side. Uh, interesting, you know, clash of cultures here. You would think after sending them pallets of cash and putting them on a glide path to nuclear weapons, you'd think that they may take a dive. But again, they got family members to worry about that, uh, Apparently, the mullahs have a sword to their throats. Um, and what did you think of the U.S. Soccer Federation? I mean, they took the Iranian flag I, I, and they took the Islamic Republic part out of it, and they're upset about that. Now I they're demanding think, that the game be canceled. I don't think of the U.S. Soccer Federation. That's what I think of the U.S. Soccer Federation. I don't. Um, so, yeah, forget all of the soccer silliness. Well, uh, Babylon pissed I'm about sorry. it. I said, well, the, Iran is pissed about it, and they want the game canceled because we were being disrespectful to them. Uh-huh. Well, the, uh, and, the, and the game goes on, and the bloviations go on, and then the fights in the stands go on, whatever. Now, the fight um, started yesterday with reporters and a soccer player, said soccer player. You're pronouncing our country's name wrong. Yeah. Our country is named Iran, not Iran. Got it. My apologies on uh, the mispronunciation of your country. Got it? We got to pronounce it right. Iran. Iran, uh, Iran. 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 Iran is Iran a Flock so of Seagulls song. Iran is the country. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Babylon B has uh, given me an idea, uh-huh. enlist the listeners for help on this, ways to make t- soccer watchable. Um, they've offered 10 to get uh, your propeller sp- spinning here. A ways to make soccer watchable. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro, text line. If you have any suggested reforms to make soccer watchable, as it currently is not, as everyone understands. Uh, number one, yeah. goalies must be double am- amputees. <gasps> oh, Dan. Yeah. And their name's Matt. Oh. Well, I mean, the, the point is to minimize the scoreless draws. Okay, what's uh, uh, not bad? Ooh, ouch. Uh, supply one enforcer on each team with a taser. <laughs> yeah, 
That's, that's pretty good. Um, that's number funny. number three, add mm-hmm. quicksand so that anyone who takes too long on a free kick gets sucked in. You either move or you die. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, this is sort of like um, soccer meets uh, squid game. Uh-huh. I kind of like this idea. Uh, number four, have a drunk hobo decide when each half starts and ends because it's, I mean, what's the difference? But at least it would be entertaining. Uh, number five, in the event of a tie, the coaches must duel at midfield. <laughs> I like that. Two enter, one leaves. Honor at yes. stake there. Right? Uh-huh. Number six, if players pass the ball ten times without shooting, the ball detonates. It's <laughs> not bad. Yeah. Uh. Uh, number seven, these are ways to make soccer more watchable, as it currently is not. Uh, release an enraged bull on the field if things get boring. <laughs> Have a little sort so soccer meets. It's like meets, it becomes a Spanish bull fight. Yeah, yeah, soccer meets Pamplona. <laughs> you know, I, I think I mentioned this before on the show. What? I had a classmate in high school who died in Pamplona. Got oh, running out. with the bulls? Yeah. Oh, my God. What year was that? Uh, it was a while back. The ironic thing is that he was... Uh, voted in our yearbook most likely to die by getting gored by a bull. No, he didn't. Uh, number eight, anyone who flops will be thrown in the Sarlacc pit where they will discover a new definition of pain and suffering. Do you know what the Sarlacc pit is, Amy? This is a geek test. Uh, no, I don't. I'm, I don't. Oh, my that, God. Well, I, I, Mike's outraged. I'm not, I'm not Justin, surprised you don't. Justin, Come on. who didn't know who. This is somebody um, who just watched The Godfather recently. Oh, okay. But right. I did, and I'm I'm watching Godfather. Movie this reference, Sunday. yes, movie reference. Mm-hmm. Movie Sorry, reference. Are we playing syllables sounds like. I'll give you the. I'll give you. I'll give Amy a hint because okay. you know, for the rest of us geeks, it's it's well known. I was busy. Going this to this prom. is a hit. This is a hint that you have. I mean, even if you haven't seen it, just for cultural reference, you should know. Okay. Jabba the Hutt. Oh, some Star Wars thing. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Very good. All right. What's it called again? The start. What the Sarlacc you... pit. It's um, in the uh, the Great Pit of Carcoon. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> yeah. That's a this real Carcoon you speak of. Okay, that's a real geek test. <laughs> wow, you know the Great Pit of Carcoon. Uh, all right, um, back to let's yes. round out the list here. Okay, so go into the Starlack pit. Sarlacc. Jeez. <laughs> Anyone who flops will be thrown in the Sarlacc pit. I right. like that. Uh, number nine, uh, ways to make soccer watchable. Give half the players jet packs and half the players players surface-to-air missiles. <laughs> oh, too soon. And then well, that's a built-in spot. Too okay. soon for what? Then it's a built-in, and then you get the Lockheed Martin sponsorship. Oh. <laughs> Wear that on their jerseys. Uh, and then number 10, to make soccer more watchable. Instead of kicking a round ball towards a goal, players will carry or throw a more oblong ball towards a kind of end zone. Oh, okay. Yeah, that okay. sounds like football. Yes. Very good. Thank you, uh, Marty that. in Naperville. You're on Chicago's Morning Answer. All right. Here's what you do to make soccer more watchable. One of two things: you either take a nap, or else you go to Pluto TV and watch an hour of Gunsmoke, and then go back, and the game will still be. Say the clock is fifteen thousand minutes on it, and it'll still be the same score. So you take another nap. And then it'll finally end in a scoreless tie, and that's all you can do with soccer. That sounds oh. like baseball to me, the by the way. <laughs> take a nap, third Wake inning, yeah. take a nap, fifth inning, take a nap, seventh inning, take a nap, extra innings, baseball. Well, well there's, there's 
At least in soccer, you have a definite end to the game. In baseball, they can play till the next day. A definite end when you go into when you go into this extra time. uh, How how long is extra time? This is like it's like what is uh, this is one of these unknowable things. How long is extra time? No, it's kept in. It's kept. It's kept track of by an official (laughs) up in the, and it's usually (laughs) determined. Uh, exactly by a timekeeper on the field, which holds up a big sign that says this much extra time. And it, and it's different extra time uh, with each sure. match. It's based on injury because the game right, cause, continues. Cause everybody's flopping around like Dennis because Rodman. the game continues while somebody is injured. They don't take a seven right. minute timeout to cart somebody off who's got but- an alleged pulled hamstring. But the thing is, right. there's so much acting in soccer. It's so of much course. drama. I mean, I one time had a soccer there's, player there, who there, joined there. volleyball, and I said, well, this isn't soccer, buddy, because he went down with an ankle. He's like, oh, my ankle. That's why like, that's, we, we right. don't there's do no, that in this no, sport, buddy. That's Get not off drama. No, no, no. In Real sports have yeah. real drama. Well, that is melodrama. Yeah. That's, why, like that's why Dan's Spanish suggestion that they are armed oh. if they flop is a good idea. Well, they no, they get thrown into the Sarlacc. Or oh, that too. Yeah, either one like, is fine by like, me. Like Duels that. at pistols, flopping is is just insane. Well, it shouldn't happen, and, and and it should be penalized, and it it should be. You're never going to outlaw it. But I you mean, just never on. know, Mike, if anybody's really injured. The late Kobe Bryant perfected it in the NBA. No, so, well, come on, Rodman. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> well, that was yeah. another kind of flop, but yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and that worked on multiple levels with Rodman. Um, he, here's like, <laughs> yes. I, why don't you just skip all this and just just go right to the? I mean, do they still have the penalty kicks? They do. Yeah, those yeah. are fun. Yeah, just PK. go, just go right to that best out of you know whoever gets the most out of ten. <laughs> forget, forget the, the forget first the two halves. Just go, just, right, just go to right to the penalty kicks. For some games, that would be appropriate. I think. Even everybody in, even protects in the their family even, jewels. And even in the World Cup. Yeah. Um, I'm going to watch today. I guess I'll watch. Of course you'll watch today. And then I'll probably fall asleep during it. Uh, Kip in Stillman Valley. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, they'll utilize their, their arms and hands. I think when you got the ball or you're defending the guy with the ball, you get to throw up to two punches. Two punches. You got it. All right. It's a, two punches. Uh, anybody, the guy with the ball. So this becomes like a smear, what we used to call smear the, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that element too, I think, would make it more interesting. I mean, you know, you can wear headgear or mouth guard or something if you want. All right. Frank in Arlington Heights. Okay, turn them into foosball players, like you know, tabletop foosball, <laughs> where you have five guys in a row and you have like three rows of them and they're tied to like some sort of like pole, and the only way they can hit the ball is if they, you know, completely go a three sixty, just like in the game. That's it. That would be fun to watch. Soccer ball becomes becomes human foosball. That's not yes, bad. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's not bad. Thanks for the call, Frank. A lot of good ideas. We'll uh, be taking your ideas how to make soccer more watchable, as some of you, apparently, if you're a student at CPS, are going to be forced to watch Study USA Hall. versus Iran today. Iran. 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 Iran, flock of seagulls, Iran, you know, a country in the Middle Thank East. Thank you. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. And uh, the other flock of seagulls hit. Uh, I know it's on my phone. 
We'll give you a hint. The uh, it was featured in Career Opportunities with Frank Whaley and Jennifer Connelly. Oh, uh, I have the, it on my playlist. The roller skating through the right. The roller skating through the mall. Through the store. Yeah. Through the store. Wow. Yeah. Uh huh. Space, space balls. Space balls. Yes, that's it. Space balls. <laughs> right. Yeah. Rick Mel Moranis. Brooks and space balls. Uh, no. Um. 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 um, um. Space Age Odyssey. Space Age love song. Or that. You could give her, you could, you could, Mike, you could have gone Space Age love and it would still, it wasn't going to happen. It was not going to happen. No, no, no. It's all right. It's all right. Baby Steps. You know, this Godfather movie you're talking about. Yeah. Is really (laughs) something. Has anybody seen The Godfather? (laughs) It was. Uh, man, Sonny in the toll booth, and then the horse's head. Ooh. Hey, don't don't ruin it for anybody okay. who hasn't seen well, it. Well, I'm seeing uh, Godfather two this weekend, so do not tell me how it ends. I don't. No, wanna, no, 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 don't say. No, we won't. But I will tell you this: Diane Keaton is hotter now than she was back then. Don't you think she's aged beautifully? Uh huh. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So this case that we've been tracking... And except for some local media in L.A., the D.C. press corps has not been tracking the D.C. press corps writ large, all their outposts around the country. This is the case of the individual who ran into some five or six dozen L.A. County sheriff's deputies during a run and injured, severely injured, several of them, injured 25 overall, some severely injured, limbs were lost. Also, one L.A. Sheriff's deputy, who's also Army Reserve, Alejandro Martinez, um, he is still in grave condition. He's still fighting for his life. Now take a listen to this uh, report from the NBC affiliate in L.A. Alejandro Martinez was among the most critically injured in the crash in mid-November, and he remains in the hospital at UCLA Ronald Reagan tonight. But today, for the very first time, we are hearing from Alejandro's family, and they shared this picture with us as part of their online fundraiser helping with medical bills. And they tell us that he remains in critical condition right now. Alejandro is just 27, a new recruit who also serves in the Army National Guard and hopes to one day become a sheriff 
They say he's a huge sports fan. He cheers for the Rams, Lakers, and Galaxy. And his family says he has a huge heart and is always the life of the party. His family is hoping tonight that everyone can keep him in their prayers. This update comes just days after the Sheriff's Department hosted this benefit barbecue in Norwalk. 100% of the proceeds were for the recruits who were hurt. And we know that some of the money has already gone to them and their families. Organizers say they raised roughly $70,000 at the event. And they've taken in an additional $50,000 in checks, cash, and PayPal that have been sent or dropped off with the Sheriff's Relief Fund directly. Now, amazingly, they say the majority of these donations are 20 to to $100, thousands of people doing everything they can to help. And so many people have these recruits on their mind as they recover again. What's missing from that report? What's missing? Any comment about the person who is responsible for this? Yeah, exactly. Uh, kind of forgot about that, huh? Exactly. So um, this guy's name, he was arrested, charged with attempted murder. Then he was released. His name is Nicholas Gutierrez. And uh, right before Thanksgiving, which is part of the reason it sort of got lost in the holiday shuffle, Nicholas Gutierrez sat down with his dad and his attorney to do an interview with that same NBC affiliate. And... uh, well, take a listen. The sheriff says you did this intentionally. Is that true? No, that's false. Nicholas Gutierrez says he doesn't remember exactly what led up to the crash, but he knows it was not deliberate. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, just apologies to what happened. It wasn't intentional. Nicholas was going to work as an electrician, installing solar panels on what started as a routine day. Law enforcement sources told the NBC4i team a witness saw Nicholas looking down, possibly at a mapping device or possibly dozing off. I take the same route every day. So you were familiar with the area? Yes. The crash happened early Wednesday morning in the South Whittier area near Mills Avenue and Trumbull Street. The class of about 75 recruits was on a training run when they were hit. Some of the uh, recruits said that you didn't break. What do you remember? Anything at all about this? I fell asleep at the wheel and I woke up to people banging on the window to get out. I had no words. When I got out, I asked if they were okay and they pulled me on and took me to the ground. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. It's great that the NBC affiliate got this interview. It's unfortunate that, like most of these, um, uh, well, most of reporters generally that work for corporate media, are just so bad at their jobs, they just don't ask any of the right questions and they're not listening to the answers so they don't follow up with any of the probing questions that should be asked. For example, so let me understand something. It's 6.30 in the morning. You're going to work. Why were you so tired? You're so tired at 6.30 in the morning. Ostensibly, you just got up and you're going to work to install solar panels. So... You're so tired that you fell asleep yeah. at the wheel? What did you do the night before? Well, the, and there's no indication that he was partying or anything else the night before because he, uh, he, he passed the field sobriety test. So there's no drugs, no alcohol in the system. Um, so, I, I, so, so explain to me how it is you fell asleep. And you fell asleep, you know, you dozed off for as long as you did and you didn't sort of 
wake up until after you re- hit a pole. Un- no, until recruits are bouncing oh, off yeah. his window. That's what he just said. So, I mean, you know, I, I, everybody's been there in terms of like you're doing a long drive, or a cross country drive, or something. It's night, and you start to doze off, and you catch yourself because you're aware you're dozing off. Right? It's a split second normally. It's not like you collapse, like you go to sleep, and then it takes the force of like bodies bouncing off your car to awaken. But we didn't get that question. No. So we don't have that answer. And we didn't the, in the reporter, too, because I watched, you know, the preview of it. And then I watched the piece when it aired last week. She didn't even ask him to. How do you feel about police? Do you support police? Well, or are you was, part of the defund police group? Yeah, that was discussed. Um, oh. That was discussed in this interview uh, in terms of the family's connection to law enforcement right, and that there's no antagonism to law enforcement. Here. He doesn't have anything against officers. We have a whole family that's that are officers two brothers that are retired uh, California Highway Patrol I've got uh, two cousins that are LA County sheriffs one retired one still active and I've got another cousin who is a LAPD retired detective and myself the Department of Corrections uh, you know the, the dad and the kid uh, appear perfectly perfectly nice you know perfectly stable perfectly thoughtful in this interview which in part I think was designed to present them in that light but uh, but nonetheless they do so i'm not ascribing i mean, you know certainly not disputing the fact that they have a law enforcement connection the family does okay but and how maybe, does he feel about them well he he i mean he expressed remorse this was a sort of closing statement in the interview i didn't intentionally do it i, I wish it never happened i feel so simply like i feel bad it happened so that's not a guy who's you know, a defund the police ideologue certainly doesn't sound like it. And based on the information that's been provided, he hasn't previously been in trouble with the law. He obviously he's working as an electrician, so he's got a job and family seems nice. So and they're broken up about it. So it's it's difficult to discern. I'm not saying that that the family is running any kind of scam here, but I just don't understand I mean, you know, if there was if he had a medical condition or if there if there's evidence there was a medical incident, like he blacked out or like he somebody, had a seizure. Like, or, yeah. A seizure. Yeah. You faint something like that. OK, then maybe I understand it. But I mean, when you see that video, first of all, he's he's falling asleep. He's going 40 miles an hour hmm. and, and he's got a, a pretty long run on, up until he gets to those recruits and plows into them. And I just again, why were you so tired? Do you normally fall asleep at six thirty in the morning when you're going to work? So how did it happen that day, do you think? I, I just like to get a better sense. I don't want to you know, I'm open mind you want to be open minded on this, but it just doesn't I fell asleep, I woke up, bodies are bouncing off my car. And then I hit a pole. I but the biggest point of contention I have with this story is then toward the end of the report that he, he claims that he's a victim. He said, you know, Police inflicted the wounds that you see on his face. Well, the, the, that's what yeah, his attorney the, said. The uh, right, the attorney intervened mm-hmm. when that question was asked. This was when I I don't think that we're going to talk about gonna that. that. No, was it the airbag? No, went off. It wasn't the accident. No, Nicholas did not want to discuss his injuries, nor did his attorney. He's got some scratches on his face, right. and you know, fat so lip, and this and that. So right, so with the attorney there. It's you're almost setting up and that would take some real stones if they filed some sort of uh, 
police brutality case against the <laughs> L.A. County Sheriff's Department. But, I you know, be you have an attorney yeah. there. Yep. And it, the guy should have an attorney because, uh, again, to be one other point that's important here, it's still an ongoing investigation. So there's still the possibility of some criminal charges, even if the conclusion is that this was unin- unintentional. And that's basically what the dad reported that a uh, homicide detective told him one of the homicide detectives he's the one that called me yesterday and said you know after speaking with his co-workers and your neighbors uh in some investigation he says we just don't see your son actually doing this intentionally and my partner is filing the paperwork to have him released okay well uh, so even if you stipulate that it wasn't intentional um you know it doesn't have to be intentional to be charged with a lesser crime than say attempted murder um you know, particularly if you have that Alejandro Martinez, if he doesn't make it. But um, but I, I just I just want to know a little bit more. I want a little bit more color on that morning from Nicholas Gutierrez than yep. we got in that interview. I, I left unsatisfied. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six. Type in D.A. then a quick comment. Vince St. Charles here in Chicago's morning answer. Hey, you know, uh, there's a report in the flames that the guy dozed off because of medical and he swerved. A friend of mine dozed off, he swerved. I don't buy it. When you fall asleep for some medical condition, you don't streamline, like you say, 40 miles an hour directly to people or to direct in a direct line. I don't buy it. I mean, I heard the interview. I don't buy it. Something's fishy. You're calling it, Dan. You're talking about it. I do not buy it. There's something wrong with this story. A- Thanks for the call, Vince. Appreciate it. Well, he, the other thing, too. Okay, so, uh, Nicholas, so you woke up when bodies were bouncing off your car. That's your story. So then how come you didn't break? There's no evidence he, right. he no pressed the brakes. Marks. So how, how you just you were, what, in shock until you hit the pole? Even as you, I mean, you wake up and bodies are bouncing off your car. What's your, what's your reflex action? I would think it would be to break. So again, I'm not saying it's intentional. There's, you know, there's, there's contrition. There's not really, there's regret. There's not really any evidence that there's any antagonism towards police here, but it does seem like maybe there was some negligent or reckless conduct and he's trying to covered up with the I fell asleep so I'm not culpable or I had a medical in- I mean he's not saying I'm medical no, incident. he said no I fell medical. asleep yeah. again just a simple question you're going to work at 6 30 in the morning uh you know putatively you just got up and right, so how are freshest. you so how are you so tired that reporter did a horrible job on that interview oh John in so Crown Point hi Dan and Amy I love your show Love Amy more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, so you the reason I listen to you, order, right? Yeah. No. All right. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. The reason I listen to you guys is it keeps me awake when I go to work. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Very good. Keep the hands at yes. 10 and 2 and the eyes forward. Thanks for the call, John. Um, you know, something else, too, just in terms of California. I mean, we are talking about L.A. We are talking about California here. Just as a, an aside, since we're talking about law and order, mm-hmm. did you see this Daily Mail report? Ah, it's the, the Daily Mail reports more than 7,000 sex offenders 
convicted of lewd or lascivious acts with a child under 14 years of age received a year or less of prison time. 7,000 sex offenders, lewd or lascivious acts, kid under 14, a year or less in California. Disgusting. That's the normalization of pedophilia. Right there. It's, uh, right, these... The things that don't make sense, they just keep multiplying. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So yesterday, Maricopa County and uh, Mojave County certified the election results from November 8th. But uh, not without incident, particularly no. the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors meeting, as well as the Board of Supervisors meeting in Mojave. There was an interesting statement made by the board chairman there. Cochise County, which is a Republican county, you know, Republican dominated, refused to certify the election, even though they're, as I understand it, sort of they're under state legal mandate to do so. Um, but this is just the beginning, says Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake posted this to her uh, Twitter, an update on what's transpired as of yesterday and what is to come. Take a listen. We will file this case in accordance with Arizona state law, and you'll want to stay tuned for this one. Trust me. So many have expressed concern about Maricopa County's certification. I agree. This botched election should not be certified, especially in Maricopa County, where the Board of Supervisors are well aware of the catastrophic issues caused by maladministration of Supervisor Bill Gates and County Recorder Stephen Richer, who started a dark money pack with the sole purpose of going after me, my campaign, and our movement while they supervise the election. My case, our case, moves forward with these sham certifications. In fact, state statute requires certification before our case can move forward. You know, so these things are a process and they can be protracted, right. as I think most people have become aware of over the last several years. Uh, but 
you're hearing from Carrie Lake that she is going to pursue a challenge now that the results have been certified. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment, as she should. I support her 100% because I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there is something seriously wrong, and there's been something wrong with Arizona elections for decades. And it's just recently in the past four or five years, it's made the national stage. But living there, too, even, you know, the mayoral race in Tucson when I was down there was fraught with with, with danger. I mean, it was just it, it's so messed up. And the fact that uh, what's her name? Katie Holm. What's her? Oh, my God. I don't even want to say. Hobbs. I know Katie Hobbs. Cause I don't even want to say her name is in charge of her own election. She should have recused herself and she should have let somebody else be in charge because it's wrong. Actually, I don't agree with that. I, I know this is an argument that's being made by Carrie Lake and others. I, I didn't. I don't think Brian Kemp needed to recuse himself when he was Secretary of State running for governor. I don't think George Ryan needed to, or Jim Edgar needed to recuse themselves in Illinois. It, they're they're not operating the election. The the most of the frontline personnel uh, come and I mean uh, stay as the elected officials come and go. And yes, you could say, well, they do have loyalists that are in positions of authority and so forth. I understand. But, you know, there are real penalties for uh, committing large scale fraud. And so, you know, if it's the left who wants it both ways, it was a problem with Kemp and it's not a problem for Hobbes. I want to be consistent here. I don't think it was a problem for Kemp, and I don't think it's a, in, intrinsically a problem for Hobbs either, or a Secretary of State anywhere running for governor. And I use a couple of recent examples in Illinois. Um, but that doesn't mean there are not other problems, particularly in Maricopa County, because there are. Something else, though, too, before we even get to Maricopa and some of the comments at that uh, raucous board meeting, Mojave County. The Board of Supervisors there uh, 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 certifying the election. Ron Gould, who's on the Board of Supervisors there, had this to say in advance of the vote to certify. Um, I vote aye under duress. Um, I found out today that I have no choice but to vote aye or I'll be arrested and charged with a felony. Um, I don't think that that is what our founders had in mind when they used the democratic process to elect our leaders or self, form of self-government, and I find that very disheartening. With your vote of four ayes and zero nays, you've approved item 1B. Anything else for the good of the order? We're adjourned. Voting aye under duress, I mean, you know. I'll be arrested and charged with a felony? Well, the state law, yeah. state law. Right. And uh, I don't know the particulars of it, but and you heard Kira Lake, too. You need the certification to actually move forward with the election challenge. That's the process set up. If you don't like the process, then you should move to change the law. And for, frankly, this has been a failure of Doug Ducey, the previous governor or the outgoing governor, and um, the uh, the legislature in Arizona. Um probably should have spent less time litigating the 2020 election and more time moving legislation through the General Assembly to get signed by Doug Ducey in advance of the 2022 election. At the Maricopa County Board meeting, this gives you a little bit of a flavor of some of the commentary that was offered by residents of Maricopa County. This is a guy who is from some 
uh, outlet called Real America's Voice. He says he spends most of his time documenting issues at the border and the cartels, the drug cartels' incursion into Arizona. But um, here was his comment about the election results and said certification. What we saw on Election Day was outrageous. And to say that it was anything but that is uh, either you think we're stupid or you're just that arrogant. Uh, what we've seen from you in the election office and your response, very simple questions needed to be asked. 2020 was a disaster. How was 2022 worse? You cannot say that you can certify an election when half of the voting machines were down. Was it 1,000 people that were disenfranchised? Was it 10,000 of the people that were there in line or the people that didn't show up because they saw on the news the election machines didn't work? The fact that you've already made up your minds, you've already made the decision, this is, this is all semantics. All of us coming up here and speaking is semantics. You've already made your vote. You've already made this decision. You said the world is watching and you're right. They're watching and they're watching this disaster play out in front of them. You responded to the AG with the most, most pathetic, inept response I've ever seen. You have not redressed the grievances of these people. That is the question. And the answer that I hear from everyone across this room is you cannot certify. So the question is, what is the remedy? The fact that you were on a pack that was going against Kerry Lake as well as Richer, going against Kerry Lake, how can you say that there's no conflict of interest? You have a secretary of state running against a gubernatorial candidate. How can you say there's no conflict of interest? And then your machines go down on election day. It is absolutely outrageous. If you certify today, the only thing you'll be certifying is your corruption. Thank you again. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. The more um, concerning conflict of interest for me, I mean, people may disagree, yeah. obviously they do, with respect to Hobbs and being Secretary of State overseeing the election, technically, I doubt literally. Uh, the county recorder, Stephen Risher, that was mentioned by that gentleman you just heard from, he was mentioned, and it was mentioned by Kerry Lake, too. Stephen Richards, the Maricopa County recorder, and he was involved with a independent expenditure pack, as I understand it, opposing Kerry Lake. Oh, come on. Now, now, that's, now that starts to get that's into a little, a little bit more of a curious. conflict of interest, particularly when he is the guy who is addressing audience concerns, explaining the ballot and signature verification process. And... Uh, so he was apparently writing point on that. The county recorder apparently does in Maricopa County because he was the guy providing the explanations, you know, with that Bill Gates goofball uh, in addition to him. But but if you're operating a pack now, I mean, think about it this way. Do you think that um, Governor Pritzker would have a problem if I, running an independent expenditure pack opposing his election, right. was the person in charge of verifying uh, the processes and vote totals in DuPage County. <laughs> you think, you think they'd raise any issues? Out of his mind. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, there were 67 polling locations where there was a technical glitch, so people couldn't put their ballots to be tabulated on site, and, and instead they had to put it in this box. To be taken to election door headquarters. Three. Yeah, yeah right. door, door three. three. But I'm saying they, people don't feel secure about that. And then some people were so intimidated by that they didn't even go and vote. Well, this is the point, too. You know, for all the talk of voter suppression, here's another thought exercise. If this had happened in majority black precincts 
in uh, you know pick your state or community, but in a closely contested race, oh, do you think there would be any calls from the Stacey Abramses of the world and the entire D.C. press corps and all the race hustlers uh, of, of voter suppression? They'd be out of I their mean, mind. They, I mean, it would be the lead on the news. They, you know, this they, is like buried. They treat voter ID, having to present voter ID, as voter suppression. But if they were machines weren't working at polling places with a majority uh, uh, black voters, and uh, and there was reports that the machines are aren't working and the lines are too long and the lines are three hours long and so on and so forth. Is that voter suppression in any way? Would that be yes. treated as voter suppression by the left? Of course it would. Yes, it would be. Of course it I would. I mean, think about it. 67 locations, you couldn't tabulate your vote on site. And the, the, the whole sort of cover story from Maricopa County election officials is, oh, you know— uh, it happens. We 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 got through it. Everything was verified. Everything was fine, and everything was counted properly, and so on and so forth. Right, but you because of the performance in 2020, you have decimated people's confidence, particularly conservative people's confidence in your ability to administer free and fair elections. And so, you know, it's impossible to quantify. But just logically. Do you think some people hear everything that's going on or have this experience at the polling place and through word of mouth it spreads and that has some voters throw up their hands and say, all the hell with it? They started having problems at 630 in the morning, guys. I mean, give me a break. And what was the chain of custody before going from that polling place to the election board where they were being counted? Well, that's one of the questions that uh, Carrie Carrie Lake's uh, challenge should seek to answer. Yeah. Mike in Plano, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Dan. You know, if the legislature passed something uh, over the last two years, who's to say Doug Ducey would have even signed it? Because even though he wasn't open about it, he was never Trump. He was part of that, you know, McCain faction that's been run that state out there forever. And they're all about big business, big real estate. They don't really care too much about Republican base issues. So they they only care about money and power. So they they uh, had no problem colluding with the progressive leftists to let her take the governorship to prevent an outsider populist like Lake from winning. So they figure, hey, Katie Hobbs, she's got a Republican state legislature. She's not going to be able to do much. And uh, she, I, I saw a statement from her the other day where she was even uh, criticizing criticizing Biden's handling of the border. So. She's already pivoting to the middle, so she she knows she can't really. She doesn't have much of a mandate out there, but uh, yeah, she'll be a cinema, she'll is, be a cinema, a Kristen Cinema knockoff, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah, my biggest concern is how do Republicans win election out there uh, it, 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 at the presidential level, regardless of if it's Trump or anyone else. Even if DeSantis ran on a populist platform, as long as those same people are in charge. Thanks for the call, Mike. Well, that's a that's. That's a fair question. Uh, Bill, LaSalle County. Hey, Bill. Bill. Good morning. Hey, Dan. Uh, if you remember, I called on election day about the election machines, uh, counting machines not working at my phone station in LaSalle County. And you had indicated to call the clerk. Well, I did. And they told me that all the machines in LaSalle County were down the first hour of that day. So, Basically, everybody had to drop their ballots in box number three. So I just wonder, you know, you got to wonder if there's any shenanigans going on there also. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that. Thanks for the call, Bill, that all the machines in LaSalle County were down for the first hour. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and you know, this also goes back to the the relationship between elected officials and their constituents. I mean, I, I can't help but go back to my experience at the Iowa caucus back in 2012 and watching a caucus take place awesome, isn't it? Uh, at a school in Des Moines where I'll just briefly repeat it, where get up. Uh, OK, anybody here to speak for Mitt Romney? Anybody here to speak for Barack Obama and on down the line and I get up and people want to speak for the candidates they support, give their pitch for a couple of minutes and then. Uh, all Pass right, the shoebox. <laughs> Everybody gets like a little shard of paper mm-hmm. and just write down your choice. And then literally a woman came around with a foot joy golf shoe box and you just threw your shard of paper in the the the, the golf shoe box. And then she said, OK, uh, we're going to go count the votes uh, in the back here. If anybody wants to watch, you're welcome to count. You're welcome to come back and watch us count. Nobody came back. Yeah, Zero people came trust. back. Yeah. Trust between elected officials and constituents and the complete absence, justifiably the complete absence of trust in places like Illinois or Arizona, where you have ruling political elites who lord over their constituents, particularly if you're in the minority, as Republicans are now, as Republicans are in Illinois and are increasingly so in Arizona. So this is why it's so much a state and local matter. And it should be. Because Iowa should be a model that other states replicate. But if you want to live in a kleptocracy, a cacos- uh, really a cacostocic kleptocracy, if you want to be ruled by, well, lorded over by your lessers, then you can choose that in Illinois, as we have. And if you want to have common sense leadership and be neighborly in the process, then you can choose that and you can move to Iowa. That's it. 50 laboratories. Margo and Burr Ridge. Yeah, I, I don't know when they decided that the signature thing was so important, but I, you know, in, in verifying that you're there to vote. But it must have been before we had photo IDs. I can tell you because I've been election judge now a few times. Those sign that is a fantasy. The signatures never match, never. And I mean, the person signed it years ago, their driver's license, whatever it is. We made a lot of people show their photo ID because their signatures did not match. Now, this curing business, when the person's not even there and you can't ask for a photo ID, that is ridiculous. And they need to stop that. You need to be voting with a photo ID and forget the whole signature thing because none of us are trained, whatever you call the people who check signatures and, and writing and all of that. They need to go by the photo ID. We now have that technology, which we probably didn't have when they started with the whole signature business. So that's my thing. Thanks for the call, Margo. Uh, well, you know, and you, you had DuPage County, the uh, case that was enjoined with there were the improperly counting, processing absentee ballots. They were they were improperly uh, verifying signature based on application rather than based on the signature on the application rather than the signature uh, on the voter card. So, I mean, if you were committing fraud, you, you know, you sign way to do it. You sign the application and you sign the 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 envelope that you send back the ballot in. Well, that's what kind of verification is that if there's fraud going on? And so this is why the DuPage County uh, Circuit Court judge said this. That's a process that is, number one, violative of the law. Number two, uh, provides opportunity for fraud. And so it was enjoined. 
It's happening in DuPage County. Well, I mean, listen to what Margo's saying in Burr Ridge. Chris and Carrie. Hey, Dan, I thought you might find it interesting, and I don't know, uh, maybe it's just a conspiracy theorist to me, but um, I received three of your McHenry Times, quote-unquote, fake newspapers after the election, but they were all dated. You know, the date in the corner was pre-election, but I just thought it was curious why I'd receive those after the election, and I wasn't the only one. A couple of my neighbors did, too. Yeah, have you heard the, that before, thanks Dan? For the call. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of that. So, or heard a lot of that. Not, not, not my papers, by the way. But, um, uh, yes. So, some of that happens because of volume, uh, and you know, those are newspapers, so they're not red tagged as political mail, which gets priority. You know, because the obviously the post office indicates to the post office these are on deadline; they have to get there before election day. But even that doesn't always happen. So sometimes it's just, uh, to be generous, the post office is overwhelmed. Maybe it's a competence or efficiency issue. And sometimes it's something else. Sometimes because post offices, there are post offices in Illinois that are notoriously political and will slow walk Republican stuff. So that is actually being looked into. I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Chris from Kerry, because... In some places, it it could just be a volume competence issue. In other places, there may have been some purposeful slow walking because of all the notoriety per Pritzker and the press corps uh, associated with those papers. So we are actually looking into that to sort of separate who uh, failed and for what reasons and and, um, seek remedies if we think people acted maliciously. Uh, at the post office. So that is being pursued. Appreciate the call. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, are you watching the protests going on in China? The white paper protests, have you seen those? The effort by the Chicoms to squash any videos of the protesters on their heavily censored social media sites by uh, pushing into those same sites all these porn bots. In the coverage of that. Interesting what's happening in China. Does it go anywhere? Does it lead to the toppling of the Xi regime? The, Chi- the, the Chinese communists? Doubtful. But it's nonetheless worth taking note of, isn't it? In part because it offers a mirror test for the West. How are we doing in response? Well... Yesterday at the White House press briefing, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby was present to answer questions about our relationship with Chinese communists and Venezuelan communists. He was asked by uh, Phil Wegman if there was any message from the White House to those protesting President Xi and the Chinese communists. And this is what he said. I'm wondering, what is the president's reaction when he hears protesters in China chant freedom or Xi Jinping step down? 
The president's not going to speak for protesters uh, around the world. They're speaking for themselves. So there's no reaction? This, the, the, these protesters are speaking for themselves. What we are doing is making it clear that we support the right of peaceful protest. Well, that's heroic. 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro. Actually, now follow up, uh, yeah. Mr. Kirby. Um, I didn't ask you to speak for the protesters. I asked you what the president's reaction to what the protesters are saying and doing is. That's what I asked. And Kirby didn't criticize China's government or what they're doing. I mean, 10 people died because they were locked in their apartment building and there was a fire and they couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Did you see the picture? I tweeted it out, too. They're welding doors shut in apartment buildings and putting up, you know, a, a you know, a pipe to make sure that they can't get out because he has a zero COVID policy policy, which is ridiculous. Well, the Covidian's leader, Tony Fauci, was on with Jake Tapper on CNN. Is this on his exit interviews, we hope? And he was asked about uh, what's happening in China. And to your point about uh, welding people in and so on and so forth, the protesters chanting freedom. Uh, Tony Fauci, again, leader of all of the Covidians, which is basically the left in this country. What did he have to say about uh, those abuses? What did he have to say about the protesters? Well, you know, it really matters. You have to look at it through what's trying to be accomplished here. Listen to Tony Fauci. If you thought John Kirby was offering weak tea, listen to Fauci. Well, when you want to shut down uh, in order to interrupt immediately a process that's going on, like the spread of infection, there should be a purpose to it. Like you want to make sure you get enough ventilators or enough PPE or you want to get your population vaccinated. The comment that I made about their severe uh, um, actions that they've taken is that you have to have an end game. What's the purpose? If the purpose is let's get all the people vaccinated, particularly the elderly, then okay for a temporary period of time to do that. But they have very, very strict type of a lockdown. They're locking people in their homes, which is really, they can't even go out and, from what I hear, shop or walk a dog or something like that. That's going to create a lot of pushback on the part of the population if there's no underlying purpose of what you want to do. Wow. <laughs> 312-642-5600 is our turnkey.pro answer line. You can always text us at 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Right. So you understand now, uh, you know, if you can you can weld people into their homes if you're trying to get them vaccinated. It was he even talking about, you know, it's something else, too. Uh, if I, you know, uh, can't even go out shopping, walking shopping. the dog. People are you know, starving. That's um, that reminds me of. Um, Someplace else during uh, the oh, pandemic. Yeah. Um, Where was that? Yeah. Oh, oh, the, uh, the Western world? Yeah. San Francisco, remember that? They locked people in. And only one person in the house could walk the animal at a time. I mean, think what they did to us. We weren't far away from this, guys. But people forget. Now, like, oh, you know, yeah, but we had to do what we had to do. No, we didn't. And they're telling Americans that are living in China right now, the U.S. Embassy is saying stock up on food and water for at least a month. But some people have been locked in their homes for four months. Mm-hmm. Wow, so, Fauci so, didn't fight back at all for those people. So those are the pronouncements. Uh, 
you know, sort of just generically not applying it to the Chinese protesters or any other protesters, the Iranian protesters. Generally, we have this belief in the right to peacefully protest, and that's all we'll say about what's happening in China. That's John Kirby. And then Tony Fauci offers the the most stern uh, response he can generate is they're severe when they're welding people into their homes. That's severe, but but if there's an underlying good like getting people vaccinated, well, then these human rights abuses are okay for a for for uh, uh, wait wait for a temporary period. Oh, you mean just two weeks? Those those are remarkable statements to me from representatives of our government. Aren't they? No? Oh, by the way, um, Tony Fauci, just on the topic of lying, which is really in part what this is. Tony Fauci uh, recently uh, was deposed in a lawsuit uh, filed by uh, several attorneys general, uh, led by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. And he said that... um, During his seven-hour deposition with Fauci, new information revealed that two months after Fauci told a friend masks were ineffective, he supported mask mandates. Uh, He emailed a friend in February of 20 advising her masks were ineffective, confirmed again on March 31st. On April 3rd, he's adamant masks should be worn, even though he he could not cite a single study to prove it. Then mandates followed. As Schmidt said, that's when COVID tyranny was born. February 20, emailed a friend advising her masks were ineffective. Confirmed that on March 31. Four days later, he's adamant that masks should be worn, and so they were. Mandated. Well, who got to him? Hmm. Anybody need to get to him? Yeah. Now, um, the contrast here is... Jimmy Lai. Jimmy Lai is the imprisoned former publisher of the Apple Daily newspaper in Hong Kong and China. He is uh, scheduled to go to try go to go on trial, and this is a show trial. Three charges related to collusion with foreign forces, another involving conspiracy to publish and distribute seditious material, and. Um, national security offenses. Um, He could have pled guilty to try to secure a lighter sentence to perhaps get out of prison, certainly to save his life. But he won't. Not going to. He's uh, made peace with the fact that he's not coming out. There, as uh, Bill McGurn writes in a very good column in the Wall Street Journal, there is not a man, woman, or child in Hong Kong who doesn't believe the verdict is already in. The authorities are taking no chances either, having Jimmy Lai tried before three national security judges rather than a jury. So why is he, why doesn't he just plead out, admit his guilt? McGurn writes, lies have always been the foundation of communist authority. 
Communists also have a habit of insisting their victims embrace the lies. Probably most of us would agree to anything if it meant we might see our families again. So we shouldn't be too hard on those who give in. Jimmy actually is the first to forgive former friends and associates who've turned on him. Still, this should make us admire all the more those who refuse, and not only Jimmy, there are many others in jail in Hong Kong, alone and unknown, who are forcing their jailers to own the lie. He's in prison and at peace with his not guilty plea. It's his persecutors who are insecure and fearful. To get by under communism, a man must say one thing in private and something else in public. This sounded all familiar to what's happening in American culture, by the way. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. Uh, he references uh, Soviet dissident Natin Sharansky, Mergern does in his piece. He was arrested and falsely accused of treason in 1977. He told an interview interviewer in 2013 about his experience in jail. If my aim is physical survival, then the KGB will defeat me. He aimed to instead live as a free person, which meant never, ever assenting to the lie. By insisting on his innocence, Jimmy Lai knows he has surrendered any hope for leniency. But he is showing that a man can live as a free person, even in a Chinese prison, as long as he refuses to lie. Hong Kong's communist-backed authorities have yet to realize that he's no longer really on trial. They are. Yeah. And as I said, um, so is the West. So are we in America. So is this administration. It's a mirror test. What grade would you give them? And if you think that this is um, only in these... Uh, far away dictatorships. I don't know how anybody thinks that anymore, but people do. Only in these far away dictatorships. It's nothing to do with what's happening in America. Hmm. Listen to this exchange yesterday between some fungible member of the press corps and uh, the quadruple threat KJP, Karine Jean Pierre. Oh boy. Uh, who continues to prove she is one of the dumbest people on the planet, but um, nonetheless a dutiful, useful idiot, just like the spokesbeings for totalitarian regimes from time immemorial. Question about Twitter. Um, you know, there's the researcher at Stanford who says that this is a critical moment, really, in terms of um, ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. I mean, are you concerned about the, you know, Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that? And what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? So, look, this is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. And uh, look, um, we, you know, we have always been very clear. Um, and that uh, when it comes to social media platforms, it is their responsibility uh, to make sure that um, when it comes to misinformation, when we when we comes to the hate that we're seeing, uh, that they they take action, that they continue uh, to take action. Again, 
we're all keeping a close eye on this. We're all uh, uh, monitoring uh, what's what's currently uh, occurring, and uh, we see, you know, we see it with our own eyes of, of what you all are reporting and just. For, for ourselves, what's happening on, on Twitter. Uh, but again, social media companies have a responsibility to prevent their platforms uh, from being used by any user uh, to incite violence, especially violence uh, directed at individual communities. As we have been seeing, and the President has been very clear on calling uh, that out, he'll continue to do that, uh, and we're going to continue to monitor the situation. Go ahead. Thanks, Apple Daily in Hong Kong, Twitter in America. Continuing to monitor the situation, uh, she asked a, a vector for misinformation. Vector, trying to sound intelligent, and also you know, characterizing it the way that uh, that viruses are characterized, a vector for transmission. That's what this is. Misinformation is a virus. Mm. Uh, misinformation is also synonymous with hate, based on Karine Jean Pierre's response. It's interesting because the U.N. recently tweeted this out. Words can be weapons. Hate speech online can lead to cruelty and violence in real life. Get tips for how you can say hashtag no to hate. Oh, the Chicoms have some tips. Yeah, they've got some tips. Put people who say things with which you disagree who are critical of those in power in prison. And they're sending this morning they're sending students at universities home because they'll think, you know, they'll be less likely to protest and gather. Let alone stopping people on the streets and checking their social media to see if they tweeted recently about any of the protests. That's what they're doing this morning. Living a different life in public than you do in private. We've visited this topic many times. Uh, For those listening and thinking about those people in your circles of influence, how many are doing that in this country right now? Living a different life in public than they do in private. Out of fear. So you tell me how qualitatively different it really is. Obviously, we're not down the road to gulags quite yet, um, or we're not to that part in the road. But this is the beginning. Is that uh, overwrought? Is that hysterical? Is that not proportionate to what's happening? I don't know. I don't know. But I know something else that people who do know have observations that are relevant for us. When he received the uh, Templeton Prize, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who, of course, spent many decades in Russian gulags, said this, More than half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of older people offering the following explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Quote, men have forgotten God, that's why all this happened. Since then, I spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I've read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up up some 60 million of our people, I could not have put it more succinctly than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all this happened. In Russia, in China, but the U.S. is immune. If you think so, just again, ask yourself that question. Are you and people you know living different lives in public versus in private out of fear? And think of 
the Jimmy Lai example. And try and emulate it as best you can, I'd suggest. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, as you've been hearing the last uh, couple of weeks, we've kicked off our Food for the Poor campaign this holiday season, and uh, we appreciate all the support we've gotten so far and hope to generate more in advance of our goal of feeding 1,300 families of four who need to be fed uh, for the next year because they just don't have stable access to food. We're talking about in some of the poorest countries in the world in Central America. That's our focus. And uh, nobody who is uh, able to better explain this, the importance of what Food for the Poor does, how they do it, and how your charity goes to work to keep people around the world alive, than Todd Chapman. He is the Director of Cause and Ministry and Development at Dunham Share Media. Todd, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Always good to be back in Chicagoland. I spent some time here in the way back, so it always feels like coming home. Yeah, a lot of people say that. I yeah, used right. to live in <laughs> Chicago. Uh, so, Todd, so, so tell us about this year's campaign and, yeah. and uh, you know, d- compare and contrast it from the program last year. Well, you know, it's uh, we're, we're still inviting uh, listeners to be a part of our foundational work at Food for the Poor, uh, which is feeding starving families. We've been doing that in 17 countries for more than 40 years now. But the thing, I guess, that's different, Dan, and, and this is um, going to be quite a statement because, you know, we're kind of all in, we're emerging from COVID mode, right? But in the countries where we serve, the effects and the after effects of COVID are still being profoundly uh, felt. Uh, as a matter of fact, in all 17 countries where Food for the Poor works, we have never had a greater need for food than we have right now because, you know, supply chain issues continue to be a, a thing there. Inflation has driven the food prices up, not only for us, but imagine if you're in a, you know, one of these poor countries making 2 or $3 a day and the, the price of rice and beans, every food product goes up. It really does throw these already uh, poor families to the point of desperation and starvation. And actually, that's a global trend. If you uh, look at the world statistics, the global statistics, uh, the... Um, the World Food Program says that there's there's about 100 million more people this year on the brink of starvation globally than uh, there were last year. And so this continues to be a huge issue. But Food for the Poor, you know, just as we have for 40 years, we're battling this on the front lines with our church partners. We're a faith-based organization, and uh, we work with church partners of all denominations in all 17 countries. We find out where the greatest needs are, and thanks to generous listeners like uh, here on WIND, Uh, We take your gifts and we turn it into food for starving children with great efficiency, I might add. You know, that that just uh, just on that that uh, issue of um, the what covid and the response to covid has done to increase the number of people that are facing starvation. That's exactly what David Beasley, the executive director of the U.N.'s World Mm -hmm. Food Program, said would happen when we start when the West started to lock down. He pleaded with the West. Don't lock down. We're not going to be able to get food to people who need it. And you're suggesting that what he said would happen. It has happened. Yeah, I was actually on a conference call back at the beginning of COVID with uh, leaders from some of the biggest NGOs around the world. And one of the uh, 
one of the spokespeople actually made a heart-stopping statement that turned out to be true. He said that uh, COVID-19 and everything that it will bring with it will rewind, his words, rewind the poverty clock 20 years. Because, you know, over the last 20, 25 years, all of these NGOs around the country, around the world, rather, thanks to, in large part, the generosity of Americans, have made significant progress in battling starvation, illness, you know, a lack of clean water. But COVID really uh, it decimated all of that work. So we're playing catch up right now. But uh, I'm really pleased to say that as I've continued to travel around the country during 2022 and just let people know that, hey, this is a thing. It's a need. People have stepped up and, and uh, have responded with great generosity and uh, provided a lot of food for starving children. But the need is still there. And so we're just counting on the on the uh, 560, the answer family to uh, step forward and be as generous as you can. And by the way, Giving Tuesday yes. today. So I have an incredibly special offer. Can I put that out there? Yeah, Please. let's Op- go. Well, I should also say opportunity, people, 560theanswer.com slash food for the poor is where yep. you can go to make a donation. Yeah, there's a big red banner there at 560 uh, The Answer. Just, it says give food. You can click on that, make your gift. Every gift being given today is tripled, oh. tripled on uh, Giving Tuesday. A very generous friend will take whatever you do, times it by three. And so a gift of $72, which would normally feed one child for the next year through one of our feeding programs today, it's actually feeding three kids. Uh, if you could give a gift of $144, get the six kids eating for the next year. And our feeding programs, typically two meals a day uh, for these kids in need, five days a week. So you can imagine these kids are going for, and t- you know, Amy, you've seen it. You traveled with me to Haiti. I know. <laughs> these kids are going days without eating anything of substance. And so you can imagine what a lifeline this is uh, when, we, when you give your gift and you allow us to get these kids into the programs. You stop the malnutrition. You stop the uh, food insecurity. Uh, you know, in Guatemala, for example, child stuntedness is a huge issue. Kids actually stop growing because they just don't have enough food. It's right. so tragic. And, that, and to go back to the COVID, you know, a lot of them got that one meal at school. Yeah, and, and schools, their schools were, shut, were down. shut down for years. Yeah, for yeah, well over a year. Some some schools in some countries still not opening, and of course, a lot of people lost jobs, and those jobs have not come back. And so, you know, with employment, uh, you know, in in huge. A decline right now that that has a, an impact you know i mean no safety nets here in the u.s we have fallback systems we've got safety nets they don't have any of that the they've fall, done none of that yeah the safety net is the generosity but also of people f- like you food for the poor helps um with immunizations with shots with medical yep. care talk about that aspect. yeah so we uh, you know we do we're more than food we we build homes we provide clean water solutions we do skills training medical care uh, you know, and so we, yeah, we've been very involved in uh, just getting as many uh, vaccines and medical care in as many countries as we can to make a difference. And uh, so, you know, we're doing everything we can to just uh, hold the the negative, uh, you know, effects and ramifications of COVID back. But we can't do it on our own. It's it's really, you know, we're we're a private charity. Uh, we're privately funded. Uh, or publicly funded, I should say, just by people like you. We don't get government grants or anything like that. So we're really dependent upon people like you who just out of the goodness of your heart will say, you know what, that's not right that any child should go a single day uh, without food. And if I can make a difference, I'm going to do that. And because you've been doing this for so long and have um, accomplished so much, uh, you've brought this to scale in so many places, Mm -hmm. you you actually have supply chains that – nobody else does to provide these resources to these families. Yeah, you know, 40 years of doing this, we've uh, forged amazing partnerships. We've found uh, favor with so many governments, and so we've minimized every expense. No import tariffs. You know, we've waded through all of the 
uh, the challenges, the logistical challenges that exist in these uh, in these third world countries, oftentimes, and uh, so uh, and that's you know that's a big thing for us: Intre- integrity and credibility. When you give to food to the poor, you can trust that your gift is going to make a difference. It's not being soaked up by huge administrative uh, administrative costs. For more than 40 years now, we've operated right in the realm of a 95% efficiency ratio. Right. So in other words, 95% of all the gifts that come in typically go right back out to, you know, to, to feed uh, these starving kids. Uh, the business benefactor program is something that we emphasize uh, every year when we uh, partner with you to, do, to help you do the great work that you do. And it seems to me that that's that's always a key, right? You need the donor leadership from yeah. the business community, um, and you know we try to uh, sweeten the pot a little bit by trading some uh, advertising time for donations from uh, business benefactors. Mm-hmm. But just speak a little bit to the, the business community specifically, those successful entrepreneurs, and how integral they are into meeting your goals. Yeah, you know it's really vital. As a matter of fact, I was just looking this morning at the kind of the tote board, if you will, the tally board, and we've already had six uh, Chicagoland businesses step forward and join that business benefactor program uh, this year with that gift of twenty five hundred dollars. So you give a gift of twenty five hundred dollars, all of it goes to food for the poor. And then uh, AM 560 will very generously provide you with an advertising schedule. And the thing that I think is a great testimony that it works is, and I don't know what the numbers are, but I know from looking at the, the list of businesses that have been a part of this over the last, how, how many years have we been doing this, five or six years now? Yes. Yeah. So, so many people come back year after year. And yep. so that tells you that it works. And uh, so, yeah, if, if you own a business or are in a position of leadership at a business where you control the checkbook to a certain extent and you're looking for a way to make a, a difference in the world and also benefit your business and getting some advertising on a great radio station, would strongly encourage you to do that. Yeah, call Ann Jeanette Natowski at 847-472-8951. Again, that number, 847-472-8951. Or simply go online to 560theanswer.com slash food for the poor. Now, you and I were talking because we spent time together in Haiti. I know it's one of your 17 countries, but can you briefly tell us what's going on in that country? Because... Yeah. So uh, you know, can- the president was assassinated yep. and then all heck broke loose. Yeah. So candidly, uh, Haiti is a, a country that's in extreme turmoil. You know, it was uh, it's already been for a long time the poorest country on this side of the world. It continues to deteriorate. You know, if that's even possible, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, just uh, gang activity there right now. And just, uh, you know, frankly, food for the poor. Uh, we are the largest nonprofit, the largest NGO still at work in Haiti. Many others have just said it's, it's too risky. It's too, risky. It's too hard. Yeah. We can't be here. But food for the poor, we've got nationals. We've got you know nationals that work for us there, and so we're able to go in and get the work done. And I'm not going to say it's not not uh, challenging. It certainly is. Uh, but you know what? We're committed. We've been in Haiti for mm, I think 35 years now. We're committed to staying there and helping the people of Haiti. Uh, it's it's an incredible country. Uh, you know, I've come to love the people of Haiti. My heart breaks for what's going on there because so many innocent uh, families and, and children are being victimized by these insurrections and by the violence and the and the corruption. But, you know, what do we do? Do we walk away or do we stand up and continue to fight the fight and make a difference and, and uh, hope and pray that it, it turns around? We believe that it will. And uh, as long as you know, God has us there, and generous people continue to support our work there. We're going to continue to just help as many families as we can. All right. Again, to make a gift of any amount, just call 844-862-4673 or visit 560theanswer.com slash food for the poor. And remember, 
It's 3X Day. So yes. Giving Tuesday, yeah. every dollar turns into $3 because of donor, as Todd was explaining to us. I was going to say, is that a shirt size? Is that a comment on my weight? <laughs> no, <laughs> 3X? No, you're no. still in shape. <laughs> but again, no, talk about this you know, this anonymous person who's going to triple your yeah. donation today. So if I give $100, it'll turn into right. $300 just like that. Yeah, so we have a great partner that provides much of the food that we distribute through all 17 countries. And uh, they, they just have tremendous resources and partnerships. And so... Uh, they have actually said, hey, you know what, we've got an extra uh, you know, amount of food that we can add here on Giving Tuesday. So when you feed one child, they're going to actually feed two more uh, children because they've just had just a, you know, it's a, it's a big, actually, it's, uh, they've got an office here in Chicago. And uh, so they just have a lot of extra food available that we can ship. And, you know, there's a, there's a timeline, timestamp on that food. So uh, this is a great opportunity to make a bigger difference. Three kids. You can feed three kids for a year for 72 bucks. I mean, we, we dropped 80 bucks on our turkey, and it fed 17 people at our house almost one meal. Right, with no leftovers. <laughs> with no leftovers. Well, there are a few leftovers. And if you can't, you know, make a donation on behalf of your well-fed children or yeah. grandchildren. Yeah. You know, I remember one time um, I... Uh, for my dad for Christmas, I made a donation on behalf of right. him in his honor. For the person that's hard to buy for. Exactly. Who doesn't, they don't want another t-shirt they or a hat. Need they, they, they need they, they're, right. they're decluttering. They don't want yes. anything like that. Yes. But again, the number to call is 844-862-4673 or visit 560theanswer.com slash food for the poor. And take advantage of Giving Tuesday and the tripling of your donation today. It'll get us a long way to our goal of 1,300 families of four being fed for a year via Food for the Poor. Todd Chapman, Director of Cause and Ministry Development at Dunham Share Media. Thanks, as always, Todd. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law for 30-plus years of running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank. Gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois. But you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan. To have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if anymore, but when. Out. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That theme music means it's time for our weekly confab with Ted, Dabrow- Ted Dabrowski, president of WirePoints, all things Illinois policy related, wirepoints.org. Before we get to that, I, I just have to comment on this comical op-ed from Jim Durkin's wife. Oh, I just read it. Yeah. Jim Durkin's wife rallying to his defense. Typical of like Western Springs, Hinsdale, where, uh, you know, women, p hat women married to male impersonators. And Celeste, Celeste Fisher, that's Jim Durkin's wife, Celeste Fisher, not Durkin, of course, uh, is a good example of a p hat. And Jim Durkin is a good example of a male impersonator. State Rep. Jim Durkin is an endangered species. She writes, a socially moderate, fiscally conservative <laughs> gentleman who plays well with others. Now, the reasonable dad of the Illinois Republican Party has had enough. He picked up his keys and he's going for a drive. As his wife, I'm happy for him and beyond proud. 
as a constituent, I'm at a loss. The mom in me wants to fold my arms, give the mom look to those who have made this mess and say, now look what you've done. What do you have to say for yourself, young man, young lady? (laughs) I mean, at the end, she wrote, Illinois Republican Party, you're in big trouble. I just can't look at you right now. Uh And while you sit up in your room, while your dad cools off, I really hope you think about what you've done. Jim Durkin is my dad. He's the Illinois Republican Party's dad. Oh, well, apparently our dad is transitioning. Uh, While our nation watched in horror as the Capitol was stormed on January 6th, Jim publicly condemned the insurrectionists. Interesting choice of words, Miss Fisher, Jim Durkin's wife and mommy. Jim just wants to keep everyone safe. That consistently earned Jim a low grade from the NRA, a grade that could not make me love him more. Jim's mission has always been to grow the Republican Party, not diminish it. He took a stand and voted for the Equal Rights Amendment, supporting gender equality. These are the positions that earned him the title of Rhino, Republican in name only from the far right, a majority he is proud of, clearly. I think about Jim's U.S. Senate race against Senator Dick Durbin. That was gentlemanly and without lies and mudslinging because this is what you call good sportsmanship. Remember that, says mom. They distinguish themselves by focusing on facts and policy with the emphasis on the word distinguished. To this day, we're proud to call the senator from the other side of the aisle our friend because he's a good man. Dick Durbin. Yeah, we rode with Durbin to McCain's funeral and toasted our dear mutual friend. That was nice of Jim Durkin to genuinely lose 60-40 in 2002. 2002, was that... Was that before Trump? How, I, how could a socially moderate, fiscally conservative dad like Jim Durkin lose to Dick Durbin? That was you still where the Republican Party had some relevance even after the George Ryan debacle. What happened? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sorry, Jim Durkin's tenure as House Republican super minority leader also predates Trump. So what happened? Celeste, Miss Fisher? In fact, by the numbers, he is the most ineffectual House Republican leader in Illinois state history. He leaves the smallest caucus of either party in the General Assembly in Illinois history. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Well, what did he do? Miss Fisher? Well, I wonderful accomplishments voting for the ERA, a uh, pro-abort leftist propaganda tool for the better part of four decades. Uh, being opposed to the NRA, right. That's made Illinois safer, hasn't it? Yeah. What have we done? Well... Jim Durkin got rid of himself. He took the stairs before he was shown the window. Not that the party is going to get any better under the current leadership in either chamber because they still don't get it. But what they've done, all those who actually were in positions of authority over the past 20 years in the Illinois Republican Party, is made it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But you know what? As long as obviously a P hat like Celeste Fisher is happy with the results, that's the important thing. As long as leftists in 
Tony suburbs are are happy with the Republican Party. That's what's most important. Happy with their cuckolded partners. That's what's important. While they dine with Dick Durbin, who's a good man. If, if there's anything that Dick Durbin has demonstrated in his time in office in Illinois, it's that he's a good man. Mm-hmm. Starting to understand the things that I've been saying about Jim Durkin and about this party for those, those many 20 years. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, can't see our way fit to make a course correction. And so the direction will continue to be straight down until that happens. And then it's going to be a long climb back up because of how far we've driven ourselves down under the stewardship of male impersonators like Jim Durkin and P-hats like his pretend Republican wife. I I don't even know if she's saying she didn't say who she voted for, Durbin and Durkin. It sounds like it was a tough call for her. Oh, and she's part of the Stanford University novel writing program. That's her byline. Real impressive. Oh, man. I mean, you cannot make... They're cartoon characters. Cartoon characters. They are one-dimensional caricatures of human beings. People like Miss Fisher and the P-hat. Well, the, she's the P-hat. But, I mean, so is he. Male impersonator will stick with that uh, she married. You want to wade into the arena, Miss Fisher? Welcome. Well, that's all partisan politics, so I don't want to bore Ted Dabrowski with that. But we do have some reflections that are in order. Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning, guys. Among those uh, dearly departed Irish, uh, not just Jim Durkin, not just Mike Madigan, not just John Cullerton, but now Ed Burke bids his fare thee well. No more Ed Burke. He's been there since 1969. A year Glorious years. Uh, Ted, what was your favorite policy accomplishment of Ed Burke's? <laughs> I have no idea. You're going you're gonna to know, know that better than me. But, you know, what's fascinating, and uh, for me, what's, what's amazing is, is it's kind of like you go back to the, to the Madigan ousting, right? So, you know, when Madigan was kicked out, the celebrations, things were going to get better. Um, you know, not true, right? Uh, what we've seen is the, 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 the deeply progressives come in and, and take over and push Illinois even further and faster, uh, you know, down the wrong path. And uh, and that's and, and know, this, one this, of the candidates running to replace Ed Burke is backed by Chewy Garcia. So that means she is a socialist and that means ex- things will get worse. Ex- exactly, because, you know, you've got you've got five you know socialists uh, on there. There's 11 openings on the you know, aldermanic openings right now. So there's going to be a big push to get more more of the same agenda. So, you know, watch out what you wish for. And of course, nobody wants Ed Burke to be there anymore. That's, that's not the point. The point is, what do you replace him with? And, uh, you know, if, if you want to see Chicago continue its path faster and, and, and uglier and, and further down, then uh, just watch, you know, watch this. Um, the um, General Assembly is uh, embarking on their veto session. How exciting. And there's a talk, you heard it on our newscasts, of uh, some tweaks yeah, language cleanup and so on and so forth. Some tweaks to the Pritzker purge law. Uh, LaShawn Ford saying that uh, he wants to advocate for clarity. 
with respect to tickets versus arrests for trespassing. That was an issue. There's some talk about um, the uh, the the threshold for uh, either police to use force or for a person to be released, the, the specific person test that's included in the purge law. And Kim Fox is saying oh, that's language that we continue to talk about is being worked on. Uh, you were when we talked to you last week, you were pretty skeptical that we're going to see material changes to the Safety Act in terms of its impact. Uh, how do you feel today? Yeah, I mean, for, for the record, Dan, you know, this this whole thing should be scrapped. You know, we've said that from the beginning, and you know, as we've delved into it, you know, across the board, it should be scrapped, started over, get, get the right people negotiating, and you know, bail, bail and all that is, is tough stuff, right? And and you know, you always want to figure out how to how to minimize how much bail you use. But you know, on the other hand, bail is the the best of the bad systems we have for for for, for um, you know maintaining our, our jails. So in, in public safety and in protecting the victims and, and all those things. But, uh, yeah, this, this group is not going to, to make any changes. I mean, they, they will do whatever tweaks. You know, they, they, what they want to do is, you know, Dan, you pointed out over and over and over again all those small issues, quote, small, in the language that, that uh, you know, make it so dangerous, right? What are we going to do on January 1st with all these, uh, all these uh, inmates or at least alleged, alleged criminals? What are we going to do, as we wrote uh, this morning, about electronic monitoring and, you know, giving, giving people, you know, quote, this time off, you know, giving them some flexibility on their electric monitoring, every, you, know, you know, every so often. Uh, there's so many pitfalls in the law that it should be scrapped. But I think what they'll do, Dan, is they'll, they'll try to just quiet, quiet people like you, like us, who, who complained about this, this thing. I don't, Cosmet- I don't just know. Make sure. Cosmetic yeah, little changes. Things. No, but little things. Yeah, little cosmetic. Things. Well, Cam Buckner, who, you know, wrote, or was part you know, p- responsible for this legislation for the Safety Act. I mean, he said absolutely nothing is going to change in this bill. Mark my words. So did the speaker. So did Chris Welch. Yeah. And so, the- you know, but, but, you know, they may get something. Again, it's it's all cosmetic. They won't do anything real. Uh, and they'll pretend. You know, it'll all be pretend that the, the media will write about it and say that they made it better and clarified things and all that. But, yeah, forget it. Well, don't you think, because I mean, Governor it's, it's Pritzker, really time. what I heard him saying multiple times is, <laughs> no. January 1st, people aren't going to be let out of jail and run free. Hundreds of people aren't going to be running out. And like, uh, yeah, it is, unless you change it. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion about what happens there. And I've, I've talked to a couple of state attorneys. You know, one, one made it clear that he won't let people out because he doesn't want it to be on him. So uh-huh. you don't know how it plays out. But, but it certainly does create a lot of risk, and it creates a lot of uh, legal risk for, for, for a whole bunch of people. So, you know, for me, what's fascinating, I was looking at the data last night. You know, in Chicago, and you know we've got the Safety Act we're talking about, and if you look at 2022 versus 2021 in terms of year-to-date crimes, right? You would think that we're getting things under control. COVID is done. We're we're getting far away from George Floyd and all that, and it's hell no. You know we're up 40 percent in the number of crimes um, this year over last year, and you're talking about car thefts up 93 percent, thefts up almost 60 percent, burglaries up 18 percent, overall crime. 40 percent. You know, we're talking about 58,000 crimes this year compared to 41,000 crimes last year. How the hell we're doing something which diminishes public safety is is, it's surreal, right? It's just surreal. Uh, On another score, uh, I remember when we were fighting for 15 
Ted? Remember those yeah. days many, what, months ago? Year, just a couple of years ago. Fight for 15, $15 minimum wage. Uh, that's not going to work in an environment with 8% inflation. Let's kick it up to 25, what do you say? 25? Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Let's do it all across. Let's not just do it in Chicago. Let's do it across the state. So, Absolutely. You know, a small diner. A small diner in, in the, you know, in the whatever way down south can can try to figure out how to manage that. No, you know the SEIU, the you know it's it's one of the most powerful uh, unions in in, in Illinois, um, Service Employees International Union. They want twenty five bucks an hour, huh. and think about that. You know, b- before that came out, we, we wrote about how Illinois has has not created a net you know overall net new jobs in twenty years. We've actually shrunk our total employment base. By 156,000 jobs. So we've got the worst unemployment rate in the country. And yet, here you go, you got this union saying, we want more pay, 25 bucks. It's, it's destructive. Um, it's just a continuation of, of the same problem. And I tell, you what, I tell you what's next, right? They raise that, and then with inflation, they're going to say, well, we also want price controls so that people can afford to pay for stuff. And then <laughs> you're going to start moving into your Soviet uh, economy. Yeah, you know, we, we need rent controls uh, rent control in, in Chicago. Let's see, we need uh, a property tax surcharge on homes worth more than a million bucks for as long as they last at more than a million bucks. There's not going to be very many left pretty soon. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure that uh, the mayoral candidates and others will be peppered about this fight for 25 that uh, SCU is launching, and, and who's going to oppose that? Certainly not Chewy Garcia. Yeah. I can't imagine yeah. Lori Lightfoot would. Now, it's early days for this thing, but you know, Crane's reported that uh, something like, well, no candidates have said no to this idea. You know, of course not. said yes, but... Uh, keep an open mind. <laughs> exactly. You know, no, who's, no, it, you know who's going to love this? You know yeah. who's love this? I can't... You know who I want to hear from on this? Forget the politicians. They're uh, useful idiots, like Sam Sanchez, the chairman of the Illinois Restaurant Association. Hey, Sam, how's that going to be uh, running uh, your restaurants, La Luna and and Moe's Cantina and others? How's that going to be re- running your restaurants in the city with a $25 minimum wage? How's that going to go well, you think? Or are you just going to work to get a carve-out for for your restaurants or just the restaurants? Or uh, Explain that to us. You know, I want to hear from the real policy leaders, all these sophisticated business elites that – fly in formation with these uh, tax eaters like SEIU. Well, you know, well, Daniel, it's a 60% hike, right? We're at $15 now. We'd go to 25 That's a 60% hike. Who, who knows how fast it happened? But think about what it would do to the price of the hamburger, the price of a couple of eggs, the price of bacon. Margarita's right? going to be 60 stuff bucks. Is already, it's, <laughs> right, it's already shooting up like crazy. You know, you can't go eat. If I go by myself now, I go to a diner. You can't get out with paying 20 bucks if you get your you know, couple of eggs, bacon, hash browns, and your coffee, and you're – with tip, you're at 20 bucks. Yep. And that's absurd. Now, imagine if they did this. Um, that, that's why I say the next step would be price controls because ordinary people can't afford that massive. So it, it, it would be a, you know, just shut down Chicago. Ted Dabrowski, president of WirePoints, wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Ted, thanks as always. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
All right, the 2022 midterm elections behind us. So now we're looking forward to 2023 in the state of Illinois and our nation still facing significant challenges that can't be solved unless we remain vigilant. So mark this down, Thursday, December 8th at Bishop Hills Winery in Joliet. I want to invite you to join me along with Jeannie Ives and Stephanie Trussell for Uncorked Conversations, how the five biggest issues of 2023 will affect you and your family. It's presented by Range at 355. Again, it'll be me, Jeannie, Stephanie, several other ladies discussing the critical issues. It's an evening of fine wine and unfiltered conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, but mostly ladies, are invited to join us. Mark it down. Thursday, December 8th. Get your tickets today at 560theanswer.com slash uncorked. Seating is uh, general admission and extremely limited. So get your tickets again today, 560theanswer.com slash uncorked. Uh, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby had uh, quite a day yesterday at the podium where he was documenting how we're underwriting one communist regime in South America while staying silent on the abuses of another communist regime in Asia. John Kirby responding to Peter Ducey's questions about the Biden-Maduro oil deal. And on the sanctions relief for Venezuela, yeah. why is it that President Biden would rather let U.S. companies drill for oil in Venezuela than here in the U.S.? That's uh, not an accurate take uh, on the president's view. Earlier this month, he said no more drilling. There is no more drilling. <laughs> the president has issued 9,000 permits for drilling on U.S. federal lands, Peter, 9,000 of them being unused. There are plenty of opportunities for oil and gas companies to drill here in the United States. I'll let Chevron speak for this particular issue of sanctions relief, but our expectation is it won't be a lot of oil coming out of there. It'll have to be shipped to the United States. Does the president think there's some benefit to the climate to drill oil in Venezuela and not here? It has nothing to do with a benefit to the climate, Peter. Again, there are 9,000 unused permits here in the United States on federal land that oil and gas companies can and should take advantage of. 9,000. And we're talking about one there in Venezuela. Um, Now, look, it remains to be seen how much will get drilled down there. Um, It'll be up to Chevron to decide that, Peter. Um, But... uh, But as a function of the sanction itself, that oil, whatever product is drilled, has to come to the United States. Right. We'll pay Venezuela for it. Wonderful. Prop up Maduro. Makes sense. Um, hmm, 9,000. Yeah, we've we've addressed that tire talking point uh, back in the height of gas prices, how specious that is. But John Kirby and the administration are clinging to it, if you will. Charles Payne was on with uh, Hannity last night uh, responding to uh, that propaganda you heard and giving his take on what's really at play here. Why you would rather give this to a dictator? You Do you know next month will mark, I think, the 23rd anniversary, 1999, when Venezuela voted for socialism? You know, they say you only can vote for socialism once, right? <laughs> um, and it's gotten prohibitively worse. They used to produce 3 million barrels of oil a day. They're down to 700,000. They need America to come in there. They need Chevron to come in there. They need them to come in there with their tools and their expertise. It does nothing for America, to your point. This is dirty oil. And one other part of the story I don't think is getting enough attention. This administration has stopped Guyana, one of our key allies in the region, uh, from getting a major grant, a $180 million grant. They've got 11 billion barrels of proven oil, significantly cleaner than Venezuela, we won't give them the money because we won't fund fossil fuels, not only in this country, 
But even in small countries that are desperate for financial independence, we won't help them either. But we will fund communist dictatorships. Uh, back to Curry, when Phil Wegman queried him about the protests going on in China, the white paper protests, uh, uh, protesting President Xi's uh, draconian lockdowns, COVID zero policies, human rights abuses. John Kirby had this to say about America's view. I'm wondering, what is the president's reaction when he hears protesters in China chant freedom or Xi Jinping step down? The president's not going to speak for protesters around the world. They're speaking for themselves. So there's no reaction? These protesters are speaking for themselves. What we are doing is making it clear that we support the right of peaceful protest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you weren't asked to speak for the protesters. You were asked what your view of the protesters is. But that's not forthcoming. No, they didn't criticize China's government and what they're doing. For more on all of this, pleased to be joined by our friend Andy McCarthy, former chief assistant U.S. attorney in Manhattan, contributing editor at National Review, author of the bestseller, Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. How about that, too, for yesterday? You know, I think it's really depressing uh, to hear Kirby say that stuff, Um, because there's a lot of people in the administration who are just I mean, they're in over their head and, you know, you say things and they say things and you kind of roll your eyes. But Kirby's a smart guy. He's smart enough to know that what he's saying is like unmitigated crap. Um, And he's looking people in the eye and and saying it to him. I mean, I realize that's the gig, but I, I don't know how you do that when you're a smart guy like him and you know that like Maduro, the first thing would be like the United States doesn't even recognize Maduro as the, as, uh, as the leader of Venezuela, right? And the 9,000, I mean, he's smart enough to know that, that that's ridiculous. Like they've done everything they could uh, to make sure that it's not economically viable for the for the companies that he's calling on uh, to exploit permits that have been issued. I mean, that's just a it's a fact, and it you know it, it would require like a uh, uh, a first year of high school level understanding of economics to to grasp that. Uh, and he knows that's ridiculous. So it's just I just find it really depressing when. Um, when you know that the people who are looking you in the eye and telling you this stuff are smart enough to know what they're saying is like completely false, well, what very should depressing. Have, what should have his statement been on the Chinese protests? Well, you know, look, I'm a, I'm, I'm the dyed in the wool uh, Reaganite on this one. I think that the model for how you treat something like this is what Reagan did during the Polish uprising in the '80s, where you make it clear to them that they have a, a friend and a supporter of liberty. Uh, in the United States, uh, and we call out evil for what it is. And I have to to say, Amy, you know, um, if Trump were president and the Chinese had poured millions of dollars into the Trump family coffers, and then Trump lay, uh, Trump went out, or a Trump spokesman went out and laid an egg when when given a chance to champion the Chinese protests. The only story in America would be whether the Chinese had bought Trump. Yeah, Manchurian candidate. Forget, let's say, you know, take Trump out of it. And put, fill in the blank, any Republican. Um, that would be the only story in America. And I've been saying for, you know, a couple of years now, 
I don't think the media and the Democrats want to turn the Hunter Biden, what they call the Hunter Biden story, into Hunter Biden and, it, you know, his his personal failings and all that stuff. When the only relevance in terms of uh, national security and importance to our country of that story is whether millions of dollars, what the hostile regimes who poured millions of dollars into the Biden family coffers thought they were buying. And what objective evidence do we have, like what we saw yesterday, uh, that they spent pretty well? Well, to your point about uh, uh, China and what Reagan would have said, making it uh, known that uh, the Chinese protesters, the people, had a friend in the United States, that was the one honest moment from John Kirby, because it's clear that those protesters do not have a friend in the United States. So he's being honest. Uh, well, I, that, that's that's one way of looking at it. I just I, I find it so distasteful. It's just uh, I mean, we have an evil regime. There are people who are, you know, it, the the bravery that it takes to rise up against, by the way, a surveillance state that has gotten to be a surveillance state by a lot of piracy and a lot of buying off of American technology, uh, which is what they mainly use in order to persecute their people. You have people rising up there just like they're rising up in Iran against an evil regime, and they don't expect us to send troops. And this is do, we're supposed we're supposed to be the, the beacon of freedom. Right. So when and, do we start acting like that? Right. And this is against the backdrop of Jimmy Lai being uh, ready to go yep. to, uh, go through a show trial where he's going to spend the rest of his life right. in prison because he refuses to live a lie. I mean, it's just uh, this is like the Solson Heenson moment we were talking about earlier in the show. And America is yep. nowhere to be found. It's it is really, really a sad commentary. Um, I want to go back but to you're right. I want totally to go back right. to something you were talking about with respect to uh, Biden, Inc., you know, since, you know, former chief assistant U.S. attorney in Manhattan. What do you think of the framework that uh, Congressman uh, Jim Comer and Jim Jordan provided the other week about the uh, about the Biden, Inc. investigation that they are going to undertake once they're seated as committee chairs? I, I, uh, I think it's a I like it. I think it's a good idea. Um, I think they're, uh, you know, they're both smart guys and they're mindful of the fact that, uh, you know, the country doesn't want a clown show over Hunter Biden, but it's a profound national security question what these countries thought they were buying and why every single country that uh, Obama put Biden in charge of national steering his administration's national security why people in those countries, many of which or a number of which at least, uh, are hostile toward the United States, why they thought it was expedient to pay a lot of money to the Bidens and what they thought they were buying out of it. Well, and they're buying access to the president, right? I mean, well, well, you well, he wasn't president then, well, but they hoped they he would be. And he, he may have been vice president. At, you know, when uh, we, we talk about the CEFC deal with uh, Biden, because that's the one we have the most evidence on. That's the one where this guy, Tony Bobolinsky, came forward. Mm -hmm. But that Bohai Harvest deal, which is the first one, may be even more lucrative. They help the Chinese obtain dual-use technology, which, which helps their military, which obviously harms us. And the way Hunter locked that deal in was by hopping a ride with his old man over to, to China when he was on a trip on behalf of the, the uh, Obama administration. Um, 
so you know that's direct involvement of an exploitation of the uh, powers and privileges of the executive branch to strike a deal with the an evil regime to get access to funding and uh, economic opportunity, financial opportunities that would not be available to people who weren't uh, attached at the hip to the Chinese Communist Party. Something Jim Comer mentioned at that press conference uh, that has not gotten a lot of discussion up until that point, these uh, SARS, these special acti- or yep. suspicious activity reports, and him right. dis- talking about there are 150 such reports filed by banks related to transactions by Biden, by Biden family members, and the House Republicans have only been able to see a couple of them to this point. That seems to me something where uh, there's perhaps a treasure trove of information that starts to connect the dots that haven't been formally connected yet. Yeah, Dan, that's where criminal investigations start um, in, in this kind of a, a framework. Just so people understand what a suspicious activity report is, is with respect to a number of different kinds of financial transactions, including international financial transactions, uh, it's illegal to, um, to, to have these transactions go forward in amounts that go over statutory deadline, uh, guidelines uh, like I think it's $10,000 for a cash transaction and it used to be $5,000 for uh, like an international transfer of money. You can't do that without filling out what's known as a currency transaction report or, or an international equivalent of that. So what people do to try to get around those guidelines is they structure their transactions in a way that defeats them. You know, so if you rather than hit 10,000, you go to say, you know, four different banks and do, you know, $2,499. And that way you beat the 10,000 uh, uh, guideline or, or statutory limit. So banks see this happen. You know, banks are more aware than anyone else that people are trying to defeat the guidelines. So what they do is they complete what's known as suspicious activity reports, SARS, where they suspect that the person who was engaged in the transaction is trying to defeat the American criminal statutes that apply to these financial transactions. And it's when the banks do that reporting, the banks do it because it's the bank's obligation to file the required currency transaction report. So the banks do it. it, The banks are in their own interest. They're trying to show that they're not, you know, they're trying to be transparent and comply with the government. Uh, And it's usually these kinds of reports that trigger, um, you know, larger criminal investigations. And when you're talking about having 150 of them and there's a common element, that's a that's a pretty good start to a criminal investigation. Well, it should be interesting to see what uh, Comer and Jordan unearth in the coming months. He is Andy McCarthy, former chief assistant U.S. attorney and contributing at International Review, author of the bestseller Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Andy, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Oh, Christmas music. I love that. Oh, you're, you're so warm and cuddly during yeah, the I holiday usually, season, really. I usually start... Uh, playing the Christmas music uh, in my car, you know, mid-October. 
I really want to jump on the holiday season. Yeah, when you write out your Christmas cards. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Some break hot out cocoa the, by the fire. Break out the festive sweaters and the whole thing. There's no question. Um, Got to get my tree up. Yeah, a lot of holiday action. But uh, today is Giving Tuesday, and uh, as anybody who's been listening knows. We're partnering with Food for the Poor again this year. We've got a goal, and we need your help to achieve it. The goal for us, in conjunction with Food for the Poor, to feed 1,300 families of four for the next year in places where starvation is a real threat. Uh, We're talking about some of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere that Food for the Poor has been serving and working to save lives for four decades to uh, talk a little bit more about the details of the program and your opportunities to get involved, particularly on this Giving Tuesday because we have a special deal. Pleased to be joined again by Todd Chapman. He is a spokesman for Food for the Poor. Todd, uh, we enjoyed our conversation so much earlier in the show. We brought you back. Oh, well, thanks. I'll try to undo any mistakes I made last time. (laughs) Well, tell us about this good deal. If people donate today, their donation is going to triple. Yeah, it's actually going to be tripled uh, because of Giving Tuesday. That off, This opportunity is good through midnight tonight, Eastern Time, so 11 o'clock locally. So if you want to make a difference and feed a bunch more kids than you would normally be able to through Food for the Poor, this is the time to do it. So let me quantify what that looks like. If you could give, uh, so it takes $72 to feed a child in our feeding program two meals a day for a year. And so you give 72 bucks, you're actually feeding three kids today. That's less than a trip to the grocery store. Yeah, right? A fourth of the trip to yes. the grocery store. So just round it up to $75. $150, you're feeding six kids for a year. And I just got to say, man, we've, we've had like 30 people uh, hop in since I was uh, last with you about an hour ago. So I think this is connecting with people. People are realizing, wow, man, I can do a lot of good for not very much money. So thank you. Uh, for jumping in on this. And we also had a, a new business benefactor join us oh, really? uh, this morning as well. So grateful for and that. And so the business benefactor program, real quick, and we'll yeah. get more in-depth into it, is a one-time donation of $2,500. It's tax-deductible. It's a win-win. Right. And as a way of saying thank you, we give you 40 one-minute commercials that air on the station. You're in the radio business. Or you have been. Yeah. That's the best deal in all of oh, Chicagoland Radio. It's amazing. You can't even get that in smaller yeah, markets. Right? And this is the third totally. largest city. Right. In the country. So if you want to be a business benefactor and take your business to the next level, call Anjanette, 847-472-8951, or just go to 560theanswer.com slash food for the poor. You could see the banner right on our website. And a lot of our business benefactor advertisers uh, become regular long-term advertisers because we make the phones ring. Yeah. So it's an opportunity, sort of a trial, uh, if you haven't advertised with us before, uh, at a, and, and you do good while taking uh, a, a test drive with us to see if this is something that can enhance your business and your profitability long-term. So it's it's got that benefit as well. So, uh, Todd, you know, without, you don't have to go all Sally Struthers on us, but <laughs> sketch out the, the need that we're talking about when it comes to the countries in which Food for the Poor operates yeah. and the families and kids that you serve. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me that, Dan, because I wanted to, you know, it's easy to talk kind of high level and talk stats and all that stuff, but let's boil it down to a face-to-face interaction that I've had so many times. I mean, I've traveled into our countries. Um, almost 40 times in my 12 years working with Food for the Poor. And i got to tell you, it's, uh, it's simultaneously soul-crushing but also inspiring mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at just abject poverty. I mean, you're talking about people that are living in conditions uh, that are, are simply inhumane. I, you know, shacks uh, with uh, holes in the roof. I've seen people living in, uh, you know, eight-by-eight eight shacks, and the walls are just 
tarps that you would put over your, you know, your, your patio furniture. Dirt floors, no sanitation, no electricity, and then uh, no food. And, uh, you know, employment is, is nearly impossible to find right now, especially coming out of COVID. But I'll never forget, I was in Haiti a few years ago, and we were visiting a family. And uh, like so many conversations I've had, I'm talking to the mom, I'm looking around, and I'm just looking for any signs of food that might be available. You know, sometimes you see a couple pieces of fruit on the shelf, maybe a bag of rice or beans, something. And I didn't see anything. So I asked the mom, I said, have the kids eaten anything today? And it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And she just kind of sadly shook her head and looked at the ground because poverty just shames people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so dehumanizing. You know, as a parent, you're hardwired. It's in our nature just to provide for our kids. That's what we do. And poverty robs you of the ability to do that. But so, she, you know, she hadn't fed her, fed her kids there. She's got, like, you know, four little faces looking on. You can just see the hollow look in their eyes. They've just gone without food for too long, and they've got, you know, the, the pot bellies, all the, the telltale signs of malnutrition. But I did see a pot of something boiling on the little fire in the corner. So I said, well, it looks like I'm trying to pick it up. Right. But it looks like you've maybe got something for this afternoon. And she, through the interpreter, said, well, actually, uh, I've just put some rocks, and I picked some leaves off the tree out mm-hmm. back, and I put some salt in there, and I'm going to give that to the kids before they go to bed. And she said, I know it has, in essence, no nutritional value, but it makes them feel better when they see something cooking because they have hope that maybe they're going to get something to eat tonight. And it's such object poverty. I mean, I when we went to Haiti, you can't even describe the poverty level there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still the infrastructure is not even in place from the earthquakes that had happened. So yeah. we w- went to yeah. an orphanage, remember, and we had to crawl yeah. on top of the, the broken rock the rubble, in, the, yeah. in the rubble in the street yeah. to get to, to them. And they're just so appreciative for anything, for, for a warm smile, too, or a hug, or just sure. to touch you or touch your hair or just hang out with you and... You know, we brought soccer balls for them, yeah, but yeah. just uh, this little amount of seventy, seventy-two dollars, or even right, give a hundred right. today, because then it'll be tripled. Um, we, we, it makes so much of a difference yeah. in this world. And make a donation on behalf of your well-fed kids or grandkids, right? Or you know, and today's the perfect day to do it because it's Giving Tuesday. Yeah. So you know, um, you know, give because you know it's making a difference. You're helping. You're you're truly feeding starving children. But also, and sometimes people bristle when I say this. But do it for yourself because there's nothing better for your esprit de corps, for your spirit. You know, maybe you're just kind of feeling down in the dumps about life in general. And look, there's a lot of bad news in the world today. But you know what? The best thing to do is to actually light a candle, right? Make a difference. Do something uh, to help another human being, even though you're never going to meet them. They live in another country. But, man, you can reach into their world that is so hard and relentlessly, you know, difficult and painful and hopeless. And you can bring, bring hope. Imagine a family getting the word that every day for the next year, their kids are going to eat. They probably never had that news in their life, and you can make sure they get that good news today. It, Man, what a, what a great opportunity. It literally, it takes a minute. The operators yeah. that are standing by, yeah. you just call, and they say how much. They, they don't mess around. You can literally be in and out of that conversation in two minutes. The yep. phone number to call, 844-862-4673. Again, 844 844- Eight six two forty six seven three seventy three, or visit five sixty theanswer dot com slash food for the poor. I can give you one more option too, if I may, real quick. Oh, yes. uh, you can actually text if you're in the car and it's just not convenient to make a phone call or whatever. If you text W I N D, text wind uh, to four one four four four. We'll send you a link to give. So when you get where you're going, just hit that link. You can give your gift online. It's a little hack. Uh, and that's good. That's uh, convenient as well. It's, speak as well to how central food for the poor is 
in the countries in which you operate. It's it's clear that you don't have sort of government support programs like uh, we have in the United States, but but also there's not a lot of other uh, long-standing nonprofits that do the work that Food for the Poor does. Yeah, you know, 40 years doing this, 17 countries, and most of the countries we've been in for more than 30 years. We're expanding a little bit now into South America, beginning to do, to do a little bit of work in Colombia, trying to help some of the Venezuelan refugees that are kind of, you know, have yeah. collected in Colombia. We're trying to help them. Uh, but, uh, you know, like Haiti, for example, I mentioned earlier this morning, Haiti is in such a bad state right now that a lot of the NGOs operating there have actually stopped. They've just pulled out. So Food for the Poor is really the only NGO of any scale still working in Haiti. And in many of the countries that we work in, we are, if not the largest, one of the largest nonprofits working to help their people. And so, you know, these, the governments of these countries, they recognize what a lifeline uh, that Food for the Poor is to so many people in their country. And, uh, you know, but again, we can't do that except for generous people here in America that hear what we do and just say, you know, I want to be a part of that. I want to make a positive difference. I I wonder, too, how much um, you build longstanding relationships with families uh, in the countries and within the communities that you serve, too, where um, they sort of pay it forward and help get the word out and help – you know, serve their neighbor the way that food for the poor serve them. Yeah, I've had uh, over the years, I've met some, uh, you know, older people now. I say ad- older people, adults, uh, you know, m- maybe 20s, 30s, who actually uh, benefited from a food for the poor feeding program or various opportunity to help them when they were a, a child. And many of them had a chance to get a better education than they normally would have, you know, for various reasons. And now they came back and have actually joined the work of Food for the Poor and some of our partner organizations. So there's definitely the sense of, uh, hey, you know what, Food for the Poor helped me. And uh, now that I, you know, now I'm going to I'm going to give back. I want to help my fellow countrymen. And they recognize that Food for the Poor is a great platform to do that. And you do more than just feed. You yeah. provide medical, uh, Medi- medical, assistance, medical assistance, supplies. And build houses. Yeah, build we houses. went to that village where they had yeah. actual working plumbing and, and beautiful houses. That that, I mean, it was just, you know, it was modest, yeah. but it was needed. Because you see people bathing in the same water that they're drinking yeah and then yeah. there's an ox down there drinking the same water it's very bizarre yeah clean water is a huge need uh, all over the world but especially you know in our countries as well so we do clean water initiatives uh, we build homes we build community centers we've built a lot of schools uh, over the years we feed we fund a lot of the feeding programs that actually occur in the schools which is oftentimes the only place where some of these kids are going to get a decent meal and so that's a huge you know benefit to them Uh, You know, I guess the long and short of it is our goal of Food for the Poor is to really just lift people out of poverty and put them on a path of self-sustainability and give them their dignity back because poverty robs people of dignity. It just diminishes us. And you addressed this when you were on earlier, but I think it bears repeating because since we've been partnering with Food for the Poor at AM560 for several years now, what's different this year, uh, the challenges that are even more pronounced than they were in previous years? Yeah, the effects of COVID are, it's got a long tail in these countries. Supply chain issues still plaguing these countries. Food prices are through the ceiling. And, you know, yeah, we're all feeling the pinch of inflation right now. But imagine if you've got an income of, you know, maybe a couple bucks a day, maybe $10 a week. And the bag of rice, uh, you know, that would feed your family for a week, suddenly the price on that doubles. Man, that you just can't absorb that. And so the and, and jobs are hard to find. Wages are low. On every front, COVID has decimated the poorest countries in the world. And uh, it, it's going to be a long road back to recovery. And so now more than ever, it's important that those of us 
who have some wherewithal, who have some margin. If we, if you can make a difference, if you can give $75 or $150, uh, you can make a, a big difference for these families that they don't, man, they're they're on the line. They don't have any margin left in their life. And a and gift of $144 can feed four children for one year. Six. Six children yeah. now for one year. Yeah. And if you give 370 you could feed 10 children. Just any donation will be much appreciated. Yeah, the number to call, 844-862-4673, 844-862-4673. If you want to text the word WIND, text WIND to 41444, and we'll send you a link where you can donate later today. Yep. And don't forget, to today there's a force multiplier, the tripling of every dollar that you give in, as an individual. Uh because of a, a, a benefactor for food for the poor. So, I mean, if you really want to maximize that marginal charitable contribution you're going to make this holiday season, this is a this is a great place to do it. I like that term, force multiplier. Yeah, it's I'm, it's, it's a damn prof special. That's really yeah, good, man. I, mean, I, I might. He steal doesn't that. even charge us for that. Oh yeah, take us. Just you know, attribution would be great for this. But also become a business benefactor. And since we spoke yeah. at seven o'clock, now we have I think seven or eight business benefactors yeah, yeah. who signed up. A one-time donation of $2,500, tax-deductible. And as a way of saying thank you, we give you 40. I mean, can you imagine 40 one-minute commercials? I could voice it, Dan could voice it, or you can come in and voice it yourself um, or have somebody else here voice your commercial. But it will run Monday through Friday from 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. To become become a business benefactor, call Ann Jeanette at 847-472-8951, 847-472-8951. Or simply go online to 560theanswer.com slash food for the poor. Todd Chapman, spokesman for Food for the Poor. Todd, thanks as always. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.